You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to season five of the Dramatist Guild Presents Talkback. I'm your host, Christine Toy Johnson. This season is all about how we can challenge the status quo and not only expand the canon of what plays are taught, read, programmed, and used to define the idea of what classics are, but also to ignite it with new actionable strategies. To me, this is not about canceling the existing canon. It's about being intentional about how we make space for additional, diverse, and inclusive stories, as well as reimagining often produced ones, so that the American landscape of storytelling is truly reflective of the gorgeous tapestry of people that inhabit it. In this episode, I talk to Harmon.Ott about their career as an artist on the autism spectrum and their thoughts on how all theaters can be more inclusive to neurodivergent audiences. Welcome, Harmon. I'm so mm-hmm. excited to talk to you today. Will you please start us off by introducing yourself to our listeners? Yeah. Hi, Christina. I'm Harmon.Ott and they, she, and I'm a... Uh, playwright and a visual artist and a musician. Lots of things, lots of lovely things. <laughs> yes, indeed. Thank you so much. I really wanted to start actually by asking you about a little bit about your journey because you are such a multi-hyphenate. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to be such a multi-hyphenate artist? <laughs> I can try. I could say some of it is, I think, natural and some of it by necessity. I was born in a very small town in Kansas, um, rural, poor, and so not a lot of access. Some of what I do, I think, just started from wanting to express myself in ways. And because I couldn't communicate as a child undiagnosed uh, autism, I just, I actually pieced together so that I could understand what other people were doing with their mouths and their voices. I couldn't quite figure it out. So I would take my little play school tape recorder and just get clips off the radio, like Casey Kasem, and record my own voice and then surreptitiously record my family's and then pull the tape out and splice it together and make own little stories. So I could understand the world. And that's how it started. It's because I think visually, I don't, I always say language is not my first language. I'm always translating to speak. So it starts, I suppose, from that. But autistic people tend to hyper-focus on a couple things. And it was just my natural bent, wanting to announce my inner self to the world. And singing at the top of my lungs, even when it was just noises, until I could learn how to use my voice box better. 
<laughs> it started from that and just progressed through, I think, a lot of things that when you're isolated, um, you know, um, community theater, the only thing in town. <laughs> and then just doing things myself independently. That yeah. is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. I wonder when you started doing all of those things to express yourself, were you influenced by other people in your life or other sources? Um, no, I just figured things out. I just was honestly tearing things apart, really, to try to figure out how to do things, tearing pages out of books and cutting the words out and putting the words, pasting them in different arrangements so I could just try to figure out what words were doing. Because I started reading very early, but I couldn't speak very well until later. The splicing, I don't know. I think it just, it just occurred to me one day, oh, if I pulled this out, maybe I could cut this up and wow. use scotch tape and put it back together. A lot of those things are just trial and error. And I think some of that comes from just the um, neurodivergence, I mean, I think, and also but just being out in the middle of a field <laughs> in Kansas and just not having any kind of access to anything. I guess obviously I was born before the Internet. So you had to create your own access. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of us do. I mean, mm-hmm. human, kids do in general. But but I think particularly, it's one of my sort of things I'm really interested in now, is the kind of experience one has in rural places. But still, to this day, I feel very isolated. And you just, by necessity, you, you create your own world. Yeah. I also want to ask you about finding your community mm-hmm. so that you don't have to be as isolated and how that happened for you. Uh, theater happened, honestly, because my mother threw a newspaper at me one day when school was out and said, I don't want to watch you sit on your butt all summer. Here's an audition. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a community theater production of, oh, wait, MAME. Okay. Uh, I know. And I'd never done theater, but I was always running around singing because <clears throat> I figured out early that singing... I, I saw sheet music, and because it was on a grid, because it makes because I put a grid over my vision right now, so the sensory information doesn't take away all my attention. I can focus on little cells at a time. So singing made complete sense to me. And because it was a musical, I was like, oh, there'll be more grids. Like That's how that started. And I just went and auditioned, and everybody gets in. And then I was like, oh. There are people here who do things like this. Oh, they're not just farmers and, you know, they were cows. <laughs> so um, that's how I found artists. It wasn't until much later, though, that I found a tribe of, of autistic, neurodivergent, disabled folks because I wasn't diagnosed until much later. I want to ask you about seeing grids, what you mean by that, and how that does or does not impact your playwriting process. Yeah, I'm, I'm imagining a grid in front of me. So partly because I also have synesthesia, 
when senses mix together. So like some people will look at letters and see color. But in my case, all of my senses are affected. So it's an onslaught kind of, of, I always say this, my friends will probably be like, oh God, you said this again. But (laughs) for example, if I look at roses, I, I will hear bells. Wow. Certain words will have a taste. So mm. everything's mixing. In order to not become overwhelmed, a lot of times if I place a grid in front of my vision and then focus on a cell so I can focus on mm. smaller parts, then I can tolerate more. And I think that informs playwriting in a way because it's an enormous world when you get down to the granular like that, when the real minute detail, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I can spend, for example, an entire day just mesmerized by one strand of hair. And to me, it's like there's so much going on there. And I think it informs my writing in, the, in that I'm, I'm always thinking about the worlds that we miss because of all of the... It's just busyness. Yeah. I don't know if that's really what you were asking. (laughs) Yes. No, I'm so fascinated by your process. I understand that you use pictures in addition to dialogue (laughs) when you are writing a play, and I'd love to know more about that. Yeah. It hasn't always ended up in the play, obviously, because it's really only been until recently where... I think people were open enough to have a conversation like this uh, about autistic, neurodivergent folks. But because I am, I I say it like this, this is the best I can say. I never have words in my mind. It's it's all color and Mm -hmm. shape and like fractals, repeating pattern. And it's very much like having to labor to, pull pieces of the color and the frequency and then translate that into words before I speak. And that process feels more me if I can include drawing with the words. Mm -hmm. To me, it's all the same thing. This is the story, almost like hieroglyphics or pictograms. So in some ways, I'm more and more, I'm hoping that that might filter into productions of my work. How does that translate? And how do you teach people to read it? Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Do you, how have, this season we're talking all about igniting the canon and, and in, in including more voices and different mm-hmm. voices that we haven't heard. I'd love to know what your thoughts are on how we can not only include artists such as yourself, but also serve the audience, mm-hmm. the neurodivergent audience, and bring in all people to experience your kind of vision uh, it's a big question. I know. <laughs> um, I specialize in them. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of parts. But, and obviously, I really honestly can only speak for me. Yes, of course. But I think that we're talking about really different communication styles, which mm-hmm. a lot of people have different communication styles and needs. I have friends who are non-speaking 
so their needs are different. I sometimes am non-speaking. The visuals for me sometimes also take up room for speech that I cannot get out. In terms of producing, I think it's a, simply a matter of getting in a room with with great designers and a team and making sure the team includes neurodivergent artists who do understand, I think, different ways of processing and just figuring it out. We have so many tools now, digital, video, VR. There's so many ways we can open up theater to be an, a, a sort of immersive experience, I think is what we're talking about. And I, I don't think people should be afraid of that. I hope they're not. Because I do think that you can do a lot with a play and words, just as we've ex mostly experienced in the theater. But there's something about also immersing people in an experience that comes from the inside out. Um, yes. Yeah. I'm interested in that a lot, is really... What is the experience from my gaze? I want to take my gaze back. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Harmon and I discussed the Spectrum Theater Ensemble and their mission to empower writers that identify as neurodivergent. I wanted to ask you about the Spectrum Theater Ensemble. I know that you're currently in residence with them. Can you tell us a little bit more about that company and uh, the program and how you got involved with them? So Spectrum Theater Ensemble is a theater in Providence, Rhode Island, and their mission is to uplift and empower writers who identify as neurodivergent because our stories just are not on any stage, really. Maybe here and there, but it's not, as you're talking about, in the canon. And we would love them to be in the canon. <laughs> yes. We would love our stories to be programmed into the seasons. <laughs> and the, yes. And stories by us, um, you know. Harmon, can you please tell us about the NICE program that mm -hmm. STE has implemented? Mm. Uh, so we have an accessibility arm called NICE, which is a program that codifies methods for accessibility in art institutions. NICE stands for Neurodiverse Inclusive Certified Entertainment. And it's just a fancy way of saying that it's a program to standardize the institutional sensory-friendly performances. And if you think about what we're talking about, Many people are affected by sensory sensitivities of all kinds. Do you have an example of this that you want to talk about? I'm working with the Contemporary American Theater Festival in West Virginia with STE. And so we're going to work with them on implementing this. And the example is that since my play is so much about synesthesia and my experiences with that, coming into the theater to be able to create methods for helping not only an audience understand the synesthesia experience they're, they're immersed in, but also folks who are coming to the theater who have sensory sensitivities. We have a dramaturg, Craven Poole, annotating the points in the script where there is 
going to be a, either a challenging sensory moment, something that is intense. We're looking for those moments in a work. In my play, there's a lot. So that's the first thing we give is an annotated script like that. That's what we provide the theater. Mm-hmm. And then the implementing it from the first production meeting through the process is about working with the designers, not to change what they're doing, but to find ways like using, one example is warning lights on the very sides of the stage. We've done this, and if you ask people, they never notice them. But the neurodivergent people notice them because they, they're aware, they've been told. It's subtle, but it's enough to let people know and prepare. And sometimes that also means that it gives them time to put on sunglasses if they have Mm. a visual sensory challenge, to put on headphones. We had a pilot program with ART, still ongoing. And when there's anything new, you're working through teaching the methods to folks who aren't used to it (laughs) and establishing them, especially in a larger institution. It's just a slow process of getting people on board and getting people used to it. The goal really is to be able to be in there from the beginning of production, at the in a production meeting, so it becomes a part of the whole process. It's a kind of holistic way of treating mm-hmm. the theater that includes everyone and also includes things that we don't often think about, which is not just the performance, but how are people welcomed into a space? Right. It's one of the most difficult challenging places is the minute you enter the door, the lobby Mm -hmm. can be really challenging. So, yeah, it's a big (laughs) idea since it codifies definitions and everyone's talking the same language. The hope is that we can get more and more theaters to implement it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's so important. I think that so many of the challenges that we have run into as an industry have been about educating people and breaking open these perceived barriers that we put up by ourselves <laughs> by not having the knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And not, not leaning into the idea of being curious enough mm-hmm. to find out about a community you know nothing about and then let that grow. Um, I wanted to ask you more about Spectrum Theater Ensemble. Mm-hmm. Part of the mission is to empower the neurodiverse community to achieve equal opportunity in mm-hmm. society. Do you see that STE is accomplishing this part of their mission? Since I'm here, we'll use me as an example. Um, Please. I met them because I submitted just a short play to a call, just a call for open submission process. I've been obviously at this for a very long time. But the opportunity to submit a work that was specifically about, in this case, autism, with a character who's autistic and non-binary, you know, someone a little more like me was too enticing to pass up. And and I was fortunate enough that they selected my play, and that's how I began a relationship with them. And that's one of the areas that, that we use to reach out. And this gives you an example. The, the first year, it was like 70 people, 70 writers sent in scripts. It doesn't sound a lot like maybe a lot to some theaters, but that's a lot if you think about these are writers who 
maybe never have never written anything before or didn't think they could tell these stories mm. or like me maybe had been writing these stories and only sharing it with friends in their garage or on the back of a truck which is one fabulous place <laughs> we used to do shows <laughs> in the back of a U-Haul but so that's what we yeah it's about that and right now we're working on funding which is always the big problem right and that is to develop for the resident playwright program which is what I now as a resident playwright and to really do a full development process for a full link work and be able to produce that ourselves. That's our journey right now. We have a large festival too in the in the end of summer every year that where we produce the short plays that we select. And Providence is a great place and people are very supportive. More and more I think people are opening up to this I, this notion that we have really important stories to tell. And I think the other good part about it is, to be quite honest, is I think for a long time people had a feeling, I think particularly about autistic folks, that we were just grown-up children and didn't have anything to add or offer, but we do. (laughs) (laughs) You know? That's one of the best parts for me is the idea that, look, we're adults telling adult stories. So, yeah. Yes. I think for so many of us, it's a revelation when you get to see a character on stage that even remotely resembles Mm. your life experience. And I wonder if you could talk about that, seeing plays that you can directly relate to and how, I imagine, how rare that is. Yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> it, oh, yeah. It's been lonely in a way up to recent, really, at recent times. As I say, I've been doing this a long time, and I think I conformed for a long time and wrote plays that people told me I should write. And it wasn't until recently when I saw these short plays and these characters, it was like characters who processed like me. Their logic was like mine, and really thinking about, oh, even the structure of a play can be fiddled with so that the, our processing differences are actually uh, reflected in the structure of the play itself, which means we need more neurodivergent people reading scripts that come in so that people, there are the people there who know how to read those stories. Seeing that on stage and seeing my own work, the first time I saw it, I can tell you, I burst into tears, really. I'm going to do it now, and I'm really sorry. sorry. No, please. I think it was like, I don't know, it was the first time I think as an artist that I felt like a human being. Yeah. And I think also, just it was also after the tears, it was celebration and up and going, yeah, wow, this is amazing. These stories ring. So let's do more. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And you know that. And then if your identity or who you are intersects with any any other sort of what we call marginalized, which I don't love Mm -hmm. that word, but just then it's like it becomes doubly, triply, quote, wow. Where has this been? Yes. Let's have more. Yes. Thank you so much for yeah. sharing that. I yeah. really appreciate your, your candor and your generosity with that. 
So that is the question. Let's have more. How do <laughs> we do that? And I know that a lot of your work is in, involved in doing that. Do you have any other thoughts how we can all help not only amplify and illuminate autistic and neurodivergent voices like yours, but also help the audiences who need to have access? And then the third question, this is another large question I know I'm asking, Harmon, <laughs> but the third, because I want you to solve all these problems in the next five minutes. I uh, will. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in you. I know you could do this. But part three is... To, and I think I, I alluded to this in an earlier question, but part three, bringing in people who don't know about your work and your vision and cracking open, as I said before, these barriers that that start to be built up really, I think, based on not knowing how amazing the world could be yeah. if we welcomed in all of the voices that we don't know. I would love to know any of your thoughts on that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, you inspire me, Harmon, so you inspire <laughs> me to ask you these questions. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Thank well, you for anything you want to say. I just, gosh, and when I, like, continue this now, for let's just talk for the next year about... <laughs> <laughs> yes. First, you and I talking one-on-one. Mm -hmm. Great. I love it. I want to keep doing this, but expanding, yes. talking to more folks, because remember that the word spectrum is there for a reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're not a monolith. Uh, so that's an important thing is just to invite as many folks into the conversation as possible. And it's not about pushing people out to make space. I think for me, proceed first, I hope, first and foremost, with kindness Mm -hmm. And I hope a modicum of grace. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes not, though. I get angry. But sure. Yeah. It's just <laughs> we can expand the space to, to make more room. We're better together. Yes, absolutely. Honestly, we're stronger together. And much more interesting. Much more interesting. Yeah, there's <laughs> yes. a human spectrum. That yes. We're this fabulous, gorgeous, wonderful variety of human beings with yes with all kinds of glorious amazing gooey weird <laughs> messy experiences that's the glory of theater when you get in a room and you can express all that no matter who you are yes you know that for all that I talk about how do we tell these stories that everybody is going to find something they're like oh yeah I feel like that's the mm -hmm. goal right so if we start with participation we just mm -hmm. want to participate as many people as we can in the room. And that means not just the writers, but directors, designers, everyone, too, involved in a production. We more voices who are neurodivergent, autistic, disabled. But yeah, that is, I think that's the place we need to start because we need all of our voices and our talents in the room to make these stories happen. I think that theaters hiring more neurodivergent, as I said before, readers to know how to mm -hmm. read the material. Yes. And more, I think, more gatekeepers who are actually willing to be open to these, what will appear to be sometimes, it, it's different narrative forms 
because of the deprocessing differences and to be willing to actually ask why is this that way rather than maybe mm. just looking at going oh that's not a play and setting it aside yes more and more i think we're going to see writers putting their processing actually into the structures of the plays and we need people who can help to to teach people how to read them i really trust that audiences are hungry for anything that's new anything that is human i honestly for just from watching the audiences that come to spectrum they get so excited just by oh my just i've never thought of things that way before i'm like mm -hmm. great <laughs> now we can yeah. start talking change as we know is all about being uncomfortable let's just get comfortable with being uncomfortable for a while yes it's okay because i'm uncomfortable every day just leaving the house so meet us halfway maybe <laughs> How's that? <laughs> I, I wanted to say thank you so much for sharing your stories with me. You might feel like today it's one-on-one, -on -one, but our goal <laughs> is, of course, to share this very widely with our listeners mm -hmm. and to really amplify what you've had to say today. It's so incredibly vital to the lifeblood of the, of the theater mm -hmm. to really include all of the voices, and I'm so excited <laughs> to hear about your work and uh, the work in your in your immediate community, and and how I hope that it will become a part of the canon where yeah. it needs to be and where it deserves to be. Yeah, I hope that I can mm, just quickly say to all the yes. members out there, every writer, but in particular neurodivergent autistic, disabled <laughs> writers, it's to keep writing and send your work out and, and to theater makers and ADs, etc. that be open. It's not hard, I promise. It's not hard. And that, I think, is part of the fun of art, right? Yes. It's different points of view. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Our world is better for it. There's no question mm -hmm. about it. And our art's our better, world is for, better it. for it. Yeah. Our, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. My thanks to Harmon. For more information on the NICE program and Spectrum Theater Ensemble, visit www.steensemble.com. This episode was produced by Amy Von Masick and me, Christine Toy Johnson. Our music was composed by Andrea Daly, recorded at John Marshall Media in New York City. Special thanks to Tanglewood Productions in Reno, Nevada. The Dramatist Guild Presents Talkback is a production of the Dramatist Guild of America and distributed by the Broadway Podcast Network. Let us know what you thought about the episode by using hashtag DGTalkback. As always, to be continued.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.